Good evening and welcome to Wrestling Rewind. I'm your host, Angel Amoroso, and I am joined by my co-host. Iron Man Tommy Cairo. What's happening, Angel? Iron Man Tommy Cairo. What's going on? Yeah, nothing much sitting around, getting my act together, trying out a new system. And I just realized I had a box. I keep my vitamins and supplements in it, and it seals. So it's a big box with two you know, handles on the end, they seal. And I was going to put it on my lap. And then I can put the book right there, but I'm not going to bother. We'll figure right. something. I'll go. I'll go get a music stand from the high school. There you, you know? go. That would yeah. help. So uh, we're trying to figure out the best way that Tommy can uh, display his books during our book readings. But this week we are going to delve into wrestling archives with uh, an edition of Arena Reports. And in yeah. this Arena Reports, we will be comparing. Uh, shows from the Philadelphia Spectrum, 1984. Is this a WWF show, right? Yes, it is. Yep. Okay, versus... On the uh, other end, we have NWA Starcade 83, A Flare for the Gold. Both shows took place on the 26th of November, 1983. This show, however, is designated as Greensboro, North Carolina, at the Greensboro Coliseum. Uh, All right, so yeah, let's get started. Here we go. Uh, your, your hosts are Gordon Soley and Bob Cordell. The Assassins with Paul Jones versus Bugsy McGraw and Rufus R. Jones. The Freight Train, Rufus R. Jones. Uh, the Assassins were known... The Assassins were known was Assassin number one. That's not right. And Assassin number two. Assassin number one was the manager of Paul Orndorff and Paul Rona. In the early to mid '90s, and opened up in WCW Power Plant. Opened up the WCW Power Plant. You can thank the Assassin for training guys like Kevin Nash, EDP, Triple H, and Goldberg. It doesn't really matter who is who the other Assassin guy is. So let's move on to Bugsy and Rufus. Um, this is really they, they made a lot of typos. Hold on, I'm sorry. Which assassin they're talking about since uh, they're not really mentioning the name of which assassin they're talking about. Are they talking about uh, Dave Sierra or are they talking about Dave Sheldon? There was a lot of assassins. So. And it was, back then, Jody Hamilton was probably still uh, right. you know, so out there. Right. not too clear on that. <laughs> yeah. Well, those were throughout the years, they always had those and it worked to their advantage, but I always hated it. There was some random Mr. X dude in a same way that doesn't fit him with baggy wrestling pants. I'm like, this is terrible. <laughs> right. How'd you put the poor guy out there like that? It's horrible. Um, okay, we're moving on to Bugsy and Rufus. Um, Bugsy wrestled all over the U.S. and Canada during the 1970s and early 80s, but then went away to become a nurse. Wow, I didn't know that. Once the territory area died out. As for Rufus or Jones, he competed as well in everywhere but the WWWF. During the 70s and 80s, the Rufus, to Rufus' credit, it should be noted that he had two 60-minute draws with Dory and Terry Funk during both their title reigns. How about that? So, I mean... Bugsy McGraw, you know? You wouldn't think it, right? Oh, Rufus, I'm saying. I meant Rufus, that's what I meant. Rufus. Yeah, you you wouldn't think, but... Hey. Yeah, he was a big 
raw bone guy too. We ran into him, he, he would get hurt automatically, you know. Sure, like a um, great wall. Yeah. Uh, so he, he he wrestled both of them during their, their title runs. You never know it. By 1983, as Rufus took to Flabby and it's so small the, the writing. I guess it's the light. <laughs> He looked very flabby, Rufus, in out of shape to even go 10 minutes with these guys. Wow. Nevertheless, nevertheless Rufus is the current NWA Mid-Atlantic Heavyweight Champion, which was, had been previously held by Dory Funk Jr. The Mid-Atlantic Heavyweight title was a title that had been held by practically everybody who was good in the 70s and 80s NWA. Seriously. You can't... you. You name an awesome 70s NWA wrestler, and he probably held it. Rufus and Bugsy remind me of an over-the-hill and out-of-shape road dog and K-Quick combination. Bugsy starts out with with number two as they lock up, and number two goes to the headlock and then gets shoved off into the ropes. It connects with a shoulder block. Bugsy gets a hip toss, but then misses an elbow drop. Number two, Sass number two, one as well, and gets slammed and bails. Back in, they lock up again. Bugsy gets shoved off into the ropes. He ducks a clothesline, comes back around with an elbow to the head. Bugsy wins a slugfest that leads to Sass number one getting tagged into the ring. They go through a similar sequence as before with Bugsy getting a slam off a headlock. Rufus tags in and struts around in between blows on number one, on number one. Rufus holds on out. Rufus holds on out of a hip toss and works on the arm. Number one tries to punch out, but Rufus is black, so his head is way too hard. Oh, oh, that's not us saying that. That this is Serena reports. Wow, how how far we have come. <laughs> this is wrestling rewind. We're taking you back in history. So that's not responsible. Words in history, not our words right now. Uh please move so, on, Tommy. That's great. Black. So his head is way too hard. If Michael Cole were calling this, he would say something like, It's like punching a brick wall. Bugsy tags in and keeps the pressure on the arm. Number one. Backs Bugsy into the corner and tags number two. Number two tries to work the arm, but Bugsy elbows out and tags in Rufus R. Uh, goes back to the arm, and number two tries to punch out again. But, of course, you know, he's going to start doing that boogie-woogie, you know, that that's uh, customary of the blacks. <laughs> oh, shoot. All right. <laughs> that's enough with that. <laughs> oh, my God. They're saying that, uh, it. Not us. They're saying it. Yeah. I mean, this, this is out there. This is public knowledge. Anybody can get it. Um, <laughs> so Rufus breaks the arm bar and backs number two into the corner for a beat down. So it gives a double team. Number two comes back with a rake to the eyes and tags in number two. Rufus headbutts number one to get away and makes the hot tag to Bugsy. You know, Bugsy was another one. He was like, you know, he'd be hitting his head and stuff. Oh, yeah. You're a crazy person. All right, right. Yeah. Um, okay. So, uh, number uh, assassin number one, all, all four come into the ring for a short time 
before number one makes a blind tag to number two and rolls up Bugsy for the win. At 8.08, uh, the crowd seemed readily, really into Rufus and Bugsy to make for a hot opener, but the finish seemed to upset them a little bit. So, you know, when you're in these little places, too, especially in these studios, like, there's a vibe. These people are, you're going to know how they feel because there's only a handful. Yeah, they're very serious about what they're watching because it's in such close quarters that yeah. you're really paying attention to everything. So, Not, so you know, you don't want to look like a jerk off. So what do you say to your opponent? Like we say in Snug Life, lay it the fuck in, bro. Don't worry about it. You know? There you no, go. Uh, don't worry. Just, lay it in. I remember that's like, that's how it was like this. Lay it in, brother. Don't worry about it. Yeah. Hey. We're we're not 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 here to like you know for the ballerina or no. play or is some kind of like soft touching moments. No. We know what we're there for. So yeah, yeah. I get ramped up just thinking about it. Like I'm thinking about you know all of us out there and me leading Domino. This guy just sent me. Some, he goes, I remember you brought Domino up. You cracked him in the head with an unopened can of soda and instant crimson mask. Like, you know, this is a guy, like, you know, he's a fan. He goes, I feel so uh, glad that I, have, I actually happened to see that. He goes, that was, you know, I said, yeah. I dragged uh, Domino, we're off, but I'll go back, back. back over to the window. And I said, that's my mother up there in the stands. I'm going to drag your ass up there. No, cause. Oh. I brought her, him up there and I beat him right in front of my mother. She came out and they said, my mother's outside after this. Go see her. So I go out there, she's got tears in her eyes and she's laughing. And she's like, I didn't, I didn't. I didn't raise you to be like this. Oh, I'll tell you, I, it was, I, I was really happy that we got to work together after ECW to have times like that where yeah. I managed the misfits and we carried on a feud for years on the independent circuit. Yeah. It was like, uh, some I don't of think we said more than 20 words to each other ever about what are we doing? I just, you know. right. We just went out there and had a good time and it was great. But Harley, because we could talk about this forever. Yeah. So, Harley, Harley just was insistent upon you got to put me through a table, bro. Of course. Of course. I, that's all he wanted. And that just put me over. Oh. And every time I even said to Donald, come on, I'll put you over. He's like, nah, gosh, you got to go over. I'm like, these, it was just. There was nothing to think about, really. Let's just go beat each other up for 20 minutes. And when we can go back to the locker room and everybody's like, I ain't working with those fucking guys. Exactly. So back yes. to the reports. We can tell stories about this all night. Yeah. All right. So here we go. Um, so that was uh, – the people were not too happy about that, but they're building heat, you know. Uh, Tony is standing by in the face locker room where Flair, Piper, Youngblood, and Steamboat are just hanging out. Johnny Weaver and Scott McGee, another good little worker, a little Irish guy. Scotty McGee. Uh, versus Kevin Sullivan and Mark Lewin. The Purple Haze, the real Purple Haze. All right. All right. So um, this is, uh, they're all, Mid-Atlantic region was really hot at that point. I mean, that was like, a really, really intense uh, work ethic there. Uh, Weaver, who's at that point pretty old, I guess, is a staple of the Mid-Atlantic region during the 70s. 
Scott McGee is a second-generation wrestler trained by Ricky Steamboat, Ric Flair, and Buddy Rogers. Oh. He was well, trained by Ric Flair, Buddy Rogers, and Ricky Steamboat. Well-rounded fellow. I'm sure he got his ass kicked a lot, too. Uh, yeah, sure, sure thing. Ricky Steamboat. Okay, he was successful in the territories in the 80s, but then suffered a career-ending stroke in January 1988. Kevin Sullivan was billed. Oh, this is bad. That's pretty yeah. awful. Stroke. A young guy yeah. like that. You have to imagine, like, you know, what was going on that would cause a You don't know because no, nobody got tested like we do today. You know what I mean? Right. Like, right. By the if time you felt like. Or whatever. By the time you felt bad enough to go to the doctor, you could be half dead. You know? <laughs> Yeah, and a lot of us are stubborn that don't want to admit that anything's wrong, even though the steroids are flowing with all the other drugs they combine. So who knows? Yeah, but Set you know what? For a career, uh, yeah, and um, a stroke. Uh, did you find out where you are there? <laughs> yes, I'm. I'm. I'm, okay. I'm a, it's not even that. It's that the print is so small. Uh, career-ending stroke in January 19th. Kevin Sullivan was billed as the Prince of Darkness down in Florida. And Mark Ruin was one of the henchmen. His army of darkness was like an earlier, much creepier version of the Dungeon of Doom. McGee and Sullivan start things off. As McGee gets in a pair of drop kicks, and Sullivan tags in Lewin. He misses a couple chops on McGee and tags Sullivan back into the ring. Weaver tags in, and he and Sullivan run the ropes for a bit. But Sullivan holds on to the ropes as he sees Weaver fistcock back and tags in Lewin. Weaver works the arm of Lewin and tags in McGee. After Lewin reverses the arm rear, McGee uses Lewin's body to escape the hole. That was cool. Lewin puts on a headlock and brings McGee over to his corner to tag in Sullivan. The heels trade tags in and out, working on McGee's arm. They do the false tag spot, which leads to a double team on McGee. Sullivan makes a mistake, which leads to a hot tag to Weaver. Running Bulldog by Weaver gets two. Weaver tries another running Bulldog, but Sullivan blocks by shoving him into the corner. With a little help from Gary Hart, Sullivan and Lewin deliver a knee from the top to Weaver's arm for the three count. To his arm? For the three count? Must have hurt. Um, <laughs> seven minutes and 43 seconds. Now, remember, I just mentioned, uh, we're talking about the foreheads, Johnny Weaver in the uh, sheriff's outfit with the cut head. Like, it, right. just, looks, it just doesn't didn't look right, you know? It's like, right, Dude, right. What's, wrong, what's wrong with your head? Uh, McGee, McGee tries to save Weaver from a double team beatdown. Hart comes in, Gary Hart, I guess, and pulls a spike out of his sock and gives it to Lowen, who stabs McGee several times in the face with it. This is a, a spike. With, with it. Angelo Mosca tries to come in to save, but he gets stabbed in the arm by Lowen. Once they go back to punishing McGee, Mosca comes over to chase the heels out of the ring Nice little match with a crazy conclusion. So that's pretty crazy. 
Sounds pretty nuts. <laughs> yeah. You know, that spike that Kevin used for a long time was like, I was made of metal. I mean. Yeah. You know, so it's all about how you use it. Uh, Ian Rotten's got me in uh, the Elks Lodge in Queens. And he says, I got this scissor. I'm like, you're going to have it in my shorts. And the time comes, I'll have you over by the window. I'll be trying to force you out the window. I'm like, good. Hanging out of the window. I said, listen, uh, it was Axel, not Ian. Right, right. I said, um, can I see the scissors? And it was your typical Fisker's orange handle. And on the blade of a Fisker's, along the, as this way, going down are these little serrations. I go, dude, oh. you got to look You got to look at the scissor and make sure you don't lay the wrong side down on my head. So make sure you can do that in the excitement of trying to throw me out onto the freaking, you know, else or whatever that is there. So Not exactly, a exactly that's what happened. I had a, he was so excited that you never know how much you're pushing. And I had to, like, push him away from my head to not get stabbed and cut. And that doesn't try to hurt me. He just, you know. Yeah, he was himself, being himself. Yeah. Another hot uh, day here where we are. Uh, yeah. Almost 100 degrees, so. Uh, is it? I don't know. I think it's about 90 here. Hot, hot, hot. Yep. All right, so uh, McGee uses Loom's body to escape the hole. We got that. Weaver uh, tries another running bulldog. We did that. McGee tries to save Weaver from a double team. Mosca tries to come in and save. He gets stabbed. Everybody's getting stabbed. So I assume this was before the time that Kevin Sullivan was bringing uh, the Snake Master, Jeff Gardner, and uh, Fallen Angel, Nancy yeah. with him, and but, uh, the yeah, whole yeah. with the snakes. No, you know what? Maybe not. This stuff, but for for this show, he didn't have them with him when he right. worked for the championship wrestling. That's where where they did that gimmick. I think it was before this. Okay, because it was the mid to late seventies in Florida. This is eighty four already. Right, we're talking about eighty four. So this was uh, it was yeah. already happening simultaneously. Yep. Yeah. Crazy. Great group. Great group. Yeah. Uh, so you know. Um, Greg Valentine was another of a major you know, draw in Mid-Atlantic. Him, Piper, Paul Jones, we were talking about the other night. Um, so he did an interview. Uh, so the end, of, the end of this match, which was a crazy conclusion, was they gave it two and a half stars. They, they don't rate them all. But it says an interview chick named Barbara Clary, I know that name, is out in the audience with the Estes family who traveled 180 miles to see Starcade. She asked the father, was it worth it? Ha ha. They all think Ric Flair is going to win the title tonight. Okay? So, sounds like he's invested. <laughs> yeah, okay. All right, now Tony is, the, is in the locker room. I guess it's Shivani, right? In yeah. 84? In Who? They just, they just introduced people out of nowhere. Now Tony is in the heel locker room with Greg Valentine, the Briscoes, and Harley Race. In other words, he's standing by with the champions. Race says he's been talking with the, his buddies who know where Flair hurts. 
Carlos Colon versus Abdullah the Butcher. Okay. Oh, there you go. Both guys bleed like pints of blood, but they're dark as can be, and you can only see if they're bleeding if they're bleeding on you. <laughs> right. Now, now you're reading this. These What's are not that? our words. You're reading these. This this is not our words. Right. I'm reading this. This is here. Yep. Taken right off the right off the internet. So uh I guess Cologne was part of the NWA. His so though he would come over once in a while. Flair would go over there once in a while. Um they even went to uh I forget what country it was, but there was a guy called Jack Veneno, and he got a, a 60 minute draw. Because it was an NWA territory, I know it was out one some Spanish, some uh, Hispanic, uh, New Zealand or whatever. Yeah. NWA goes uh, a, a long way, as we yep. covered in our past shows. Uh, you yep. know, it, a lot of different territories, a lot of area. Yes. All right, uh, Carlos Colon versus the Little Butcher. In case you did not know, Carlos is Carlito's father. Colon is revered in Puerto Rico. He's pretty much the Vince McMahon of Puerto Rico, you would say. Yes. Right? Yes. Um, absolutely. Carlos, uh, Carlos is his father. Cologne is he's revered in Puerto Rico just as much as baseball legend Roberto Clemente. Mm-hmm. Abdullah the Butcher is one of the originators of the hardcore wrestling style. Apparently, this match was barred in Puerto Rico, so they booked it here instead. Even at nearly 70 years old and close to 50 years in the business, Abdullah still wrestles on occasion in small American indie feds. Abdullah controls early with his usual American, which is usual. Cologne fights out of the corner and comes at Abdullah with right hands. Cologne pulls the spike out of Abdullah's shorts and uses it again against him. Abdullah is open, which Abdullah is open, which doesn't look to be a very hard task to accomplish, considering the amount of scars on his head. Why the referee doesn't disqualify Cologne is beyond me. Cologne puts Abdullah down with a knee lift and then hits a standing leg drop for two. The ref takes an accidental elbow drop from Abdullah. Abdullah. Cologne delivers a drop kick and starts working on the knee and hooks on the figure four. Hugo Savinovich comes in and breaks up the hole. Abdullah covers... Savinovich. Savinovich, yep. <laughs> uh, comes in and breaks up the hole. Abdullah covers as the ref is revived, enough to count the pin on Cologne. Yes, the WWE Spanish combinator was once a Puerto Rican wrestler and has since then put on a lot of weight. I guess we're talking... Uh, it says... Uh, Time, uh, 429. Crap. In uh, capital letters. <laughs> okay, well. You know, you got to really like Abdullah because if you don't like his gig, uh, you have a feeling that he's been stealing money all these years. Well, you know? well so that's a lot of other things, but that's yeah. <laughs> that's his story as hell. I'm sure, he, I'm sure he's paying a price for his misdeeds. They all do. One, one way or another, they wither away, they die lonely, broken, you know. You know, for my, uh, I had a show in 1996 at TCW, 
It was called Rule, Rule Breakers Rule 96. It was a very big show, Confederacy of Scum Super Show. You can look really? that up on the internet. And uh, we actually tried to book uh, Abdullah Butcher against me in the main event. Oh, my God. He wouldn't do it. He wouldn't really? do it. Yeah, and, and it would have been what, what I ended up with was uh, Kevin Kennedy, Madman. That you knew him previous, right? Oh, yeah, I know him, and, and he had re, he refused to do it. Oh, that, that's it nice. Been, it would have been a great, great show. He didn't want to fall on like, you by accident. Fall on me? He probably didn't want to, like, slice me open like he did yeah. with uh, a lot of the other local kids uh, here back in the 80s, but... Uh, you know, just, just just a little tidbit there. And also, a little tidbit awesome. is that in Roberto Clemente, Clemente Stadium, uh, where Puerto Rico ran a lot, was where you mentioned Harley Lewis earlier. And that's where Harley Lewis won the WWC title back really? in 1998. Yes. Wow. Champion there on TV every week. Wow. I didn't know he worked that until that late. Yes, yes. Wow. Absolutely. I remember seeing him. He looked completely different. He was on the two brothers. The one is a gay fucking jerk off. Donnie. Donnie and uh, Nova. Those fucking guys. I, I I don't like those guys. You know, they locked my belt in a locker. And I didn't get it. And two, two years later, the school called me up. The detective called me. He said, we got your belt. It was locked in a locker. Come and get it. Wow. They, yeah. I mean, that's, that's beyond the prank. That's just... Ridiculous, but well, they knew they had to do something. Moving yeah. on because we don't want to, oh, yeah, wow, bad mouth okay, but it's, yeah, it's hard. Right. Um, so you can imagine this is just a complete mess. Why doesn't the referee stop? So the, the guy, the guy that's written it called it crap, so I guess he wasn't a fan of that type of wrestling. But it does say Shivani here, oh, he's sitting Shivani. in the locker room, so right. yeah, 84, he was already there, all right. right. Tony He's sitting in the locker room with Angelo Mosca and Scott McGee, who looks unconscious as he is just sitting there bleeding. Angelo is pissed at Sullivan and Lewin, but he's still going to ref the tag titles match. He puts over race and flair, but he ends up by saying that flair will prevail. In the crowd, Barbara is standing by two ladies from Raleigh, South Carolina. Um, don't you mean Raleigh, North Carolina? How can you possibly screw that up? She asked them. What is worth the drive? Was it worth the drive? And who they think is going to win the world title match? Of course, they all said Ric Flair. Uh, so they give you this. This is another guy. He died young. Jay Youngblood. Did the other guy, is the other guy, brother still alive? Mark Youngblood, I think. Yeah, I'm not sure. Those guys were freaking good, man. Yeah. They were a good, good tag team. They really were. So, so it'll be uh, Wahoo and Mark Youngblood versus Dick Slater and Bob Orton Jr. Oh, nice. That could be physical. Yeah, that's got potential. I, I yeah. can't wait to hear this one. Yeah, let's see if we're right. This is Flair. This is the Flair's buddies versus races henchmen match, because everybody knows bad guys don't have friends. Ring announcer Tom Miller announces that Dusty Rhodes is in the audience. Why they chose to 
announced that during the match. I'm not sure. Wahoo chases Slater around the ring to start before they lock up. Slater flips out of the corner off a whip to slow the pace down. Wahoo reverses a hammerlock into an arm ringer and tags in Mark, who stays on the arm. Slater fights out, but then goes down to a slam. Slater gets a double leg roll up for two. No, they trade hammerlocks for a bit, but that ends abruptly as Slater gets kicked out onto the apron. Orton and Slater try to converge, convince referee Tommy Young that Slater was thrown over the top rope because they got that DQ to allow a DQ. But Young doesn't give a crap. Slater changes from a test of strength into a side Russian leg sweep for two. Orton tags in and comes off the ropes with a knee to the back of Mark Youngblood. Orton gets a backbreaker, but then misses an elbow. Youngblood comes back with a hip toss, but then makes a blind tag to Slater for the heels to take over. So, you know, in and out, back and forth, up and down, you know, at least it's not, at least it's not boring. Yeah. Lots of action. Yep. Uh, Slater hammers Youngblood down to the mat and then brings him back up to give him a gut wrench suplex for two. Slater dumps Mark for Orton to kick. I can't freaking say. I got to get this over here. Hey, you know what? Uh, we have uh, Steve Savage on oh, here he is. call. So I'm going to really quick let him in. Sure. To- our arena reports here. Steve Savage. Yo. Good to see hey. you. We are What's in happened? the middle of uh, an arena reports. Uh, let's see. WWF 1984 versus Tommy. WCW. Versus WCW. Oh, same day, same I don't know how much I can weigh in, but if uh, if I'm read the card, I might be able to throw an educated guest together. All right, so where were we? Because back to the hip toss. Uh, blind tag to Slater for the heels, heels to take back over. Slater hammers Youngblood down to the mat and then brings him back up to give him a gut red suplex for two. Slater dumps Mark for Orton to kick him around on the floor. Not only that, but Orton gives Youngblood a backbreaker on the guardrail. Wahoo comes by to help Youngblood get back in the ring before he gets counted out and loses the match. Slater is right there to keep Youngblood grounded and in their corner. Orton applies a chin lock, like father, like son. Youngblood elbows out, but then runs in to a boot from Orton. Slater tags in while Orton controls Youngblood by keeping him from making the hot tag. Slater hits a vertical suplex, but doesn't hook the leg and gets only two. Slater tries for a pile driver, but Youngblood backdrops out of it just as it looks to be Youngblood's moment to come back, he runs into Slater for a double KO. Youngblood finally makes the hot tag to Wahoo. Wahoo has plenty of chops for both heels. Double nod and knocker. Wahoo hits an inverted atomic drop and follows up with a tomahawk chop. A slam and an elbow drop gets two. Wahoo covers again, but Orton has the front, his foot on the bottom rope. Orton tags into Slater and immediately tackles Wahoo to the mat to keep him isolated. After a Slater stomping, Wahoo comes up trading blows. Wahoo grabs a headlock, 
but then Slater counters with a back suplex for a bunch of near falls. Uh, tagged to Orton for a double reverse back elbow. Orton tagged Slater and then holds on to Wahoo so that Slater can come off the top rope with a single sledge. But Wahoo moves out of the way. Wahoo Atomic drops Slater into his corner for Youngblood to kill him with chops. Youngblood tags in for a double team chop. Orton shoots over to Wahoo and knocks him off the apron. And then runs back to his corner for the blind tag. Young Blood gets nailed, but then fights back on both Orton and Slater with drop kicks. Orton stays in the ring as Slater falls out to battle with Wahoo. Young Blood whips on a drop kick. I guess that means he missed to get a suplex from Orton for the win. Wahoo made the failed save too early, and it looked like he made the save, but the ref didn't see it. After the match, Orton and Slater try to break Wahoo's arm by draping his arm across the apron and then driving their knee into it as they come off the top rope. Why not? On the way out, you might as well break his arm. You know? That's great. Uh, in the back, Flair. Yeah, so the uh, it was an old school match, and they gave it like three and a half stars. Uh, in the back, Flair responds to Race by saying he wants Race at his best. Oh, yeah. And also to wish Jay Youngblood and Ricky Steamboat good luck in their tag match. We were talking about these Youngbloods, Mark and Jay Youngblood. They were like uh, Native American guys. They smooth as silk, really athletic. Um, I think one's alive and one's dead. But another big victim of, you know, the same uh, consequences as so many other people. Um, but... If you ever get a chance to see tag matches with those guys, like if you were to see those guys against the Rock and Roll Express, it would be like insane. Amazing. Amazing. So we're in the middle of uh, reading the arena reports here, Steve. Uh, You know, there's nothing really to chime in with too much as much as just listening. Uh, We're comparing the two and seeing who we like better uh, for the time and and what they were doing and whatnot. So, and after we get done that, uh, we'd like to hear a little bit about the, you know, what you guys got planned for some upcoming events uh, that you have going and uh, we'll get into that. So Tommy, do you want to finish, finish this up here? Yeah, let me see. Here's what I, I think we'll do this because this, this is a big card. Oh, um, okay. I, I, yeah, so let me. Uh, how long is this? All right, we'll do this. This is good. NWA, and then we'll be, we'll be done for now. Uh, NWA television champion, the great Kabuki, one of my favorites. Oh, with nice. Gary Hart. Yeah, with Gary Hart versus Charlie Brown. No DQ title versus mask. So Charlie Brown's a champion of some sort, I guess. We'll figure that out. Kabuki is the inspiration for the great Muda gimmick. He is known as the first wrestler to use poison mist. Although unrelated to each other, Muda was billed as Kabuki's son when he began working for Jim Crockett Promotions. Charlie Brown is Jimmy Valiant in a black mask. Oh, I didn't uh, know that. Okay, that's... That's pretty cool. Um, you know, it's the kind of thing where you know these guys' bodies... Yeah, they put on a mask, you still know who it is. Especially Jimmy Valiant with the super long ass, and he always yeah. it's pulled up to his the bottom yeah. of his and his boots, came, his boots came up like three feet. Right, right. Uh, Brown uh, even stacks, uh, starts choking. 
I, I gotta get this where I can see this between the small print and and the light. Uh, they immediately uh, brawl out to the floor with Charlie Brown in control. Brown even starts choking him with a chair. Brown pounds, posts one good, posts one good time. Posts, I guess he hit, ran him into the pole, and starts choking him with a chair. Brown posts one good time before going back into the ring. Gary Brown. How is it Gary Brown? They put Gary Brown in it. <laughs> this, this, there's no, nobody's spell checking anything on this thing. Is that Meltzer back in the day? I'm like, what did they do? Introduce the brother now? So, yeah, uh, Kabuki. These come from, Steve. I, I wonder myself. If, but this is 84, so I don't think. Yeah. Kabuki finally fights out by clawing Brown in the eyes. However, Kabuki misses a chop and gets caught in the sleeper again. Hart helps him out by putting his foot on the bottom rope to break the hold. Kabuki connects with some chops and kicks before applying another rest hold known as the claw hold. A uh, Valiant fights, uh, he did the nerve hold on the neck. Uh, Valiant fights up with a backdrop, but then goes down to a roundhouse kick to the gut. Kabuki returns to the claw hold. Valiant tries to come back, but the effect of the claw hold makes him dizzy enough to charge and run into a foot in the corner. More claw hold. We cut to Kabuki trying to get a pin out of the claw hold. Wow, this is some exciting stuff. Kabuki releases and hits a chop from the top for two. Now Kabuki tries to take care, take off the mask, but can't get it off, so he gives him a roundhouse kick. Charlie Brown comes back and hits a wobbly running elbow. Uh, Kabuki was pretty uh, sure-footed, and I'm sure he did actually have martial arts background. And yeah, it's all a gimmick, and he did. They didn't. He, that's not a claw hold. It's a nerve hold. Claw hold is this, or anywhere else on the body. We just get the nerve up in the neck here. Just pinching yeah. your jugular a bit. Yeah, yeah. What it was? Right? Yep. Well, the old Vulcan, Vulcan neck pinch, pinch, but yeah. for a shoe. Yeah, right. Yeah. I, I remember that from somewhere. Where's that from? The Vulcan? Star Trek. Oh, yeah. Well, that's why I don't know too much. I heard, I watched it for a little bit. Um, I let my nerves fall out. Sorry. No, please. We need the help. I'm sorry. He it's, said he, he let his nerve fall out for a minute. Oh, that's terrible. I'm glad the camera's up high. Please, please keep it up there. All right, so the, the, the effect of the nerve hold makes him dizzy enough to charge and run into a foot in the corner. More claw hold, claw hold, nerve hold. We cut the Kabuki trying to get a pin out of the claw. Wow, this is so exciting. I said this. Wobbly, running elbow. I did that. I'm sorry. This is Flair's buddies. We did that. We done? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the note, it was a, a no DQ this match. So this is going to be, oh, so he got the three count. So they left this piece off. Kabuki got the three count uh, after he blew the mist um, and got him for the three count at 10.28 of 13.35. It started off okay with them brawling all over and Charlie Brown doing heel moves, but then it began to suck terribly from there, a half a star. Standing by with Bob Caudle and Gordon Soley is some radio DJ from Raleigh who says Flair should take the gold. I think Caudle just said, 
All right, dude. <laughs> we no, get more. Whoever that, it is that wrote this is it was kind of negative throughout, and they really didn't give uh, any good ratings to any of these matches. So, no, to let you know, based off of their judgment, I, I yeah. would recommend. No, and I think um, I've found this before. Not just probably a different guy, but in the same ma- manner. Like they got this little gig to you know. Uh, spell the match out on paper, and they you know stick their own little two cents in there. But I, that that's okay because somebody's got to feel some way about somebody, right? Right. That's what, that's what makes it work. You so, like some, you don't like others. For this one, quickly, wh- which one are you going with? WWF or uh... you know? I'm going to tell you what I think. I think WCW was all over the place. Everything was a, a title match. You know, and if you didn't follow along on everything throughout the months, you you wouldn't even know why this guy's wrestling this guy for what title. Yeah, I don't know. It was like just a little bit too much going on. I think had an overabundance of talent. And I don't see that it makes sense to have every championship defended, have nine bouts and everyone's a title match. You know, it's like it's to be a, a little bit much. Reggie Park. NWA Jim Crockett uh, at the time would, you know, that's how they would make their shows elaborate. So uh, actually, in comparison to the WWF card, I'm I'm going to go with. I I always lean towards the NWA Jim Crockett uh, product. So I'm going to I'm going to go with them. (laughs) Yeah, and you know me, it'd be very hard for me to pick the WWF, WWE, whatever. Never, you know, just never connected. I was already beyond. It was too cartoonish from the seven, mid, I would say uh, late 70s, early 80s, it started getting changing. And, you know, once I had other options, you know, yeah. Southwest Championship Wrestling came on. We were yeah. getting wrestling from the Olympic Auditorium. Continental and, and Florida Championship Wrestling. Yeah. All that was, a, we had such a large variety of different Memphis, things. Memphis, right? USWA was fantastic. Global. After school. And world class and whatnot. The repeats were uh, ISPW, whatever. I'm sorry. ICCW. ICWWAWCW. All that, right? So uh, a a wide variety and a a great error to take matches from. So now that we've both decided that Jim Crockett's NWA is a winner here. Uh, let's talk to Steve Savage a bit about, you know, what, what's what's going on, what's coming up, and, uh, and, you know, the plans that you and Tommy have for the new upcoming show, Heart of Wrestling. Uh, you know, take it away. Uh, All right. Well, Tommy well, and I recently recorded our, uh, our uh, intro episode, just kind of give it a brief history of how we met, which – We've done on this show before. We just did it as kind of a way to work the bugs out. We're still trying to work the bugs out as far as what format we're trying to take for different styles of doing the show. Um, we're ready to go to that next step in a little bit. We just want to get a few more things said and done first. But uh, next week, we're premiering our merchandise line, Snug Life, at the Icons convention in Philly on the 6th. Okay, great. Hour. Hour. And uh, oh, I said hour. 
Tommy, you want to explain a little bit about uh, the concept? And I see you you already have ready. So you want to explain? Ah, the continental nobleman. I'll let other people say who he is. We're not saying. That's the continental nobleman. And was indicative of the time they took everything with them when they left because they were going for maybe a year plus. Left a lot of uh, cheap furniture behind. It wasn't worth it to pack it. Just take your five bags, everything that you own that... You know, you can leave the rest of that crap behind and you start over when you get to the next place. So that's uh, that's uh, dear to my heart, that uh, rendering. So that'll be the number one or the first one of the first. What we got four coming out on uh, Saturday four. Right? Uh, we got four designs coming out right now. Uh, one is the debut of the Snug Life logo. Uh, it's uh, it, it harkens back to the old 90s when Taz and Bugs Bunny were dressed up like Tupac with Thug Life. Yes. <laughs> kind of harkens now, back to that. I think this would be an interesting inquiry. Of the four that we're putting out, which, what would you say would be your favorite? Uh, I'm a little biased because I did the design for the Snug Life one. Um, so just as yeah. my own little personal self-mark moment probably the snug life shirt is the best of the four um but i think a lot of people are going to enjoy maybe remember when because it's that old time back when you used to circle who won the matches on the little program that was taped to the back of every chair or change whoever was sub I'm, subject to change yeah. You cross it out and put whoever the replacement was. Yep. Do you have any of those pictures on your phone that you could just hold up to the screen and give us an idea of what Snug Life and uh, Remember When looks like? Um, no, because I'm using my phone. Oh, that's right. You're using your phone. Okay. Uh, yeah. Um, that, this, you know, these are things that have been in my head forever. So to put them, have them to start to develop into something is the most exciting thing because they're very near and dear. When it hit this, when Snug Life hit me with the bandana, and I said, "No, Steve, what, you know, what are we thinking?" Quickly put something together. That was truly for me. Um, I said, "This is going to be the, the thing that we're going to key on." Hopefully, that it, it, I don't care what it is that makes this work, as long as it's something. But I would like it to be that because I believe in that, and I, I think we're starting something that. Nobody ever thought well, of the, it. The brand, it's a cool thing. the brand itself works because we hearken back to the time when guys were a little more snug in the ring. They took care of go. each other. But there it is. That is uh, the Snug Life logo. Um, guys used to work a little more snug back then. It wasn't stiff. It was snug. There's a difference. Yeah. That's oh, – I love that. Hard <laughs> I missed. I misnamed him. I got him confused with uh, Boyette, who is uh, was a hippie. Oh, Mike Boyette. Mike Boyette. All right. Yeah. But this is Mario Galento. That's who that is. Mario awesome. Galento. There he is. That's. I love that. I absolutely love that. Amen. He captures it per so perfectly. He used to do this. He, he used to go like this, and then he did this thing. It meant something in Sicilian, like this. He put his. Finger on his tooth, and he go. Yeah. Snug life. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that was such a goof that I connected with all the guys that people were like, "You like him? 
I'm like, yeah, that guy's awesome. You know? Yep, there it is. I remember when. There's the one. I love it. I love it. And it, it'll it, it'll invoke uh, questions to those who don't get it. Uh, and we'll see them because they may be in a locker room and they may say, oh, yeah, that's nice. Uh, do you know the significance? No, what do you mean? You know, so it's a it's an opportunity to teach somebody something they might not understand. It's a little quirky thing, and I think it makes it that much more, you know, exciting. Well, it stands out because it's not just it's not just an I heart uh, a heart of wrestling radio shirt or a snug life shirt. It's right. encompassing back to that snug generation where it's like, yeah, you know what? We like it snug. Lay it in. Lay it the fuck in, bro. I was telling I was telling Angel later like earlier what I remember is always like this. Lay it the fuck in, bro. You know, we were always like, is that how I, I said it? I'm trying to think. Yeah, exactly don't worry about it, bro. Lay it in. Don't worry about it. Yeah, that's why we can't walk, but that's okay. It, it separated us from everybody else. When people talk about what I did, that's what they remember. I was a furniture mover. I mean, I loved it. You know, Cousin Luke would say, you know what I want from you guys? Move some furniture. When he gave you the okay to do whatever you wanted, you didn't always necessarily have to go over the top. As long as you knew you could, everything was that much better. So, you know, some Mark said to me somewhere, "Oh, why, why do half you guys walk funny?" I said, "Because we're wrestlers. We're used to the promoter fucking us." Yeah, <laughs> that's true. That's true. But I never had that problem because I came in with the guys that were, you know, that that were big names already in the business: Dave Johannes and the Johnny Rods and all Pete Sanchez and all those guys. Uh, different way to come in the business than versus. You know, and it was a different way. He brought you in. He gave me a hot box for my, my first match. 1986. That's the way it was. I don't the cheapest person, believe it or not, was Savoldi's and they paid 60. Somebody's phone is ringing. I'm using my phone. Tommy, that's you. <laughs> it's always me. That's okay. Uh, so anyway, uh, you, you guys got a, uh, an event coming up at the 2300 Arena. You uh, are appearing for the Sign and Smile and to uh, promote the Heart of uh, Wrestling Radio. Am I getting that right? The Heart yep. of Wrestling Radio? Yep. Hey, Angel, what happened to your volume? I can't hear you. Uh, it, must, it must be on you. But I got, I, I anyway, got it all the way up. It's fine. Uh, So anyhow, uh, so uh, glad that you've joined us, Steve, uh, for our arena reports and to uh, send out there uh, just a little bit of information about the Heart of Wrestling Radio that you and Tommy Cairo are uh, going to start very soon. Uh, Do you have a YouTube? You guys have a YouTube? Uh, We do have a YouTube and we have a Facebook page and we have a a Twitch page, I believe. Uh, Right now, the only content is our first little test video that we did. It's up on the uh, Heart of Wrestling YouTube page. All right. So uh, if, if you guys want, uh, go check that out. The Heart of Wrestling Radio on YouTube, also Facebook and Twitch. I believe you're also on uh, TikTok, as Steve, but, you know, which... Yeah, you know, I, I'm, I'm social media stupid. I can't figure out this stuff out. But, uh, it, our it, first official... Uh, presentation will be probably uh, an interview. We're, we're working on on getting Jimmy Powers. Um, it's been tough because he's not the kind of guy that usually does that thing. And it's, uh, I'm I'm imposing a little bit because I know him since you know 1984. So um, it's but it's been tough, and I don't want to push him. 
So I'm working on it slowly. It's going to come a day where we're going to call Steve and we're going to call you and we say, let's do it. Jimmy's ready to go. So I assured him, we're not asking you anything that you don't want to tell us. You tell it. It's up to you. We're not the typical interview uh, where you know position where we you know we're going to ask you a list of questions and you tell your story to the extent that you want to tell it. That's all we want. We want you to be comfortable. We we are looking forward to the debut of the Heart of Wrestling Radio, and uh, I'm sure everyone would look forward to seeing you guys at the 2300 uh, doing the podcast with. Uh, Dave and Dave, and you said Lance is going to be there, and all, all yeah. kinds of guys, and it's a full cast of a, of a like historical wrestling figures. So if you could get out to the twenty three hundred arena, uh, get to see these guys, and uh, Monty Nefaro is also uh, going to be there, as I understand. So go and show your support for the new uh, Heart of Wrestling Radio, and uh, also uh, Wrestling Rewind. So maybe we'll drag Angel out to the 2300 that week. <laughs> Good we'll luck. Go kidnapper. Get in the building luck. one last time. Come on. We'll, we'll have to drug her up. <laughs> Good luck with that, guys. So uh, I've, we've had fun for this arena report. So glad you got to join us, Steve Savage. And yes. so uh, for my for my co-host, the Iron Man, Tommy Cairo, our co-co-host Steve Savage. Yep. Uh, I'm, your co- I'm your host, Angel Amoroso, saying uh, please join us every week Sunday, 7 p.m. on Monty and the Pharaoh's YouTube for Wrestling Rewind, Arena Reports, book reading, title shows, and all that giving you the history of professional wrestling one show at a time. So yes. join us back next week. Uh, until then, have a nice night. And a nice life. See ya. Bye. Okay, I'm going to keep this going so uh, we could just get into doing. Do you guys want to do a promo for uh, a separate promo for the arena thing, and then get into? Yeah, I think I think we're good. You know, the, the, oh, the fact Tommy, of the matter real, real is, quick, um, the only thing that we ended up uh, really accomplishing is if we do is to get have the t-shirts. We didn't have the time to, you know, advertise it. And I'm not worried about that. This is a slow roll, you know, a test. Um, I'm gonna, we're taking it as it is. I'm not going to be like, oh, I wanted to have this and I, I, I'm, I'm pissed. No, it's not going to work that way. Um, we'll roll, slow roll, and everything will fall into place. Um, the designs Bobby, did are you strong. Get my, did you get my text about those shirts uh, before we start recording anything again? Uh Dino said to get the rush job done, to get them in hand by Thursday. It's a $75 rush fee from his manufacturer. Figures. All right. Um, when, I, when I get done, uh, I'll go up and uh, I'll let my wife uh, send the money over. Okay. All right. So, yeah. If you, if you I, I haven't even been able to get her attention. Days. I haven't even been able to get her attention. She's got like six sales in the process right now. It's oh, like geez. mayhem. So do you want to get a book reading done or yeah. a arena report or something like something that we could do round table ish wise? Yes, where- we're gonna we're gonna do some uh, more reading from Stampede. Uh and real quick, Steve, last night the, there was about four pages of like you were in it when you read it. Just the oh, craziness geez. in the van, you know, on the road to these remote places with a truck that barely ran with no heat, packed in in the in the summer. It's insane. Dynamite. Like all, all, all kinds of drugs. Just crazy. 
you couldn't help but get caught in the whole vortex of it just by reading it. It was insane, you know. Okay, so are, are you, do you have the book, Tommy? Yep. Okay, you got it I'm all ready. Listen, I was I had everything in line except that I didn't account for the small text on that one reader report. My glasses aren't strong enough. I can barely see it. All right. Okay, so whenever you're ready, just let me know. Okay. Uh, what are we? What's the uh, report for now? Or is this a book read? Uh, this is a book reading of pain and passion. It's stampede wrestling. You know the heart, okay. hearts where all the hearts yeah. are from and everything. So we did two episodes of it last night, and we're just getting into a, you know different stories about how they were on a road and like Stu okay. got his fucking ass kicked by people and Davy Boy's beginnings and stuff like that. So we're just going to invite you into the the third and episode of it. Unlike number of publications, uh, mm-hmm. Di- Pure Dynamite, uh, own uh, Bret Hart's book, um, tell parts of this story. But this is, is the quintessential book. You know, this is the this is the deal right here. All right. So the, the Bulldogs appeared in. We're not ready. Are we going? No, right? No, no, not right now. I'm still smoking. God I'm good. That's the fucking duchy. So, uh, how how yeah. the heck? How did this happen that I can't barely hear you now? That, it's okay. It doesn't matter. I, it's everything's plugged in. We should be fine. All right. Okay. Um, all right. So set up. Make it look different. <laughs> Good evening and welcome to Wrestling Rewind. I am your host, Angel Amoroso, and I am joined by my co-host, the Iron Man, Tommy Cairo. Tommy? Hey, what's up, girl? And this week we have a special co-co-host with us, Steve Savage. Steve Savage, would you like to say hello to everyone? Yo! Yo! And this week we were we are in for another installment of Wrestling Archives uh, book reading. And this week, we are going to do a third reading of the book, Pain and Passion. And this is a story about Stampede Wrestling, uh, the Hearts, Stu Hart, the Hart Foundation, uh, Dynamite Kid, and everyone that came from the area at the time, and some great road stories. So, uh, Tommy, you want to pick us up where you left off? And, and yep, that's what I'm going to do. Pleasure. All right, so uh, McMahon epitomized the flesh over substance 80s. It was a decade in which Hollywood saw Hollywood stars uh, became president of the United States. Uh, the, married, the, the marketing images in a rock video became more important than the music and blockbuster movies reigned supreme. It was a dec- decade punctuated by unparalleled corporate greed, a time trailer made for a figure like McMahon, a time tailor made for a figure like McMahon, and he prospered, turning his father's Connecticut, New York-based territory into a global multimedia empire that brought professional wrestling to the masses in a way that Stu Hart had never dreamed possible. WWF was impossible to compete with. The old wrestling territories seemed like small potatoes next to the big-budget cartoon flesh. As their fans abandoned them, the territories toppled one after another. Despite its superb talent roster and local fan base, Stampede Wrestling had also fallen on hard times financially. Stu Hart was considering selling the business in 1984 when McMahon came along, looking to break into the Western Canadian market. 
rather than fighting what was probably a losing battle. We covered this last night, but I'm just going to go back over. Uh, yeah, so this is uh, just a little update on we, we went through this, but this is like we're just up, updating the story so that you can get an idea of yes. what this book is from the beginning. So go on, Tommy, please. So despite the superb talent roster and loyal fan base, Stampede Wrestling had fallen on hard, hard times. We said that. Rather than fighting the, an impossible war, he decided to go into business with Vince McMahon, which we know did not t- turn out too well. Calgary and Edmonton, uh, Stu in turn would give McMahon his TV, so they were going to run house shows in Calgary and Edmonton, WWF talent. Stu in turn would give McMahon his TV spots across Western Canada. So essentially, that was the end of anything you would see on TV of Calgary. Another stipulation was that McMahon hired the top talents of Stampede Wrestling, including Stu's son, Bret Hart, his in-law, Jim Neidhart, and Davy Boy Smith. Which was a score for them, really. Yeah, of course. Yeah. Um, yeah, because, you know, although it probably wasn't a big money territory uh, and it was brutal, um, if you wanted to be a worker and, and be revered and taken seriously, you know, a uh, six, eight-month, one-year stint there would do wonders for your, your resume. Anyone who came from Calgary was very well respected and excelled in the business. Like I don't think there's yeah. any anyone from there that that was a failure. Would you still, agree? To, still to this day look at the Calgary Indies, and I think a lot of the talent up in Canada right now is still probably far superior than a good fifty percent of what's in the states right now. I would have to agree. Yeah, um, there's still still different and I think there's still people training people up there you know I don't know one of the hearts somebody's doing something because I heard a couple kids were training there um, when uh, the rest of the crew arrived in the WWE Bruce stormed oh this is when they got back late from that I I, I thought we finished that but uh, here's about now Helen right Helen Hart like reluctantly went into the business and you know she hated it from the very start and she just, just, there's nothing about it. She was very classy from New York, and this, she never liked it. It made her sick. Um, what his wife Helen, his pretty little tiger belt certainly wasn't up to the business anymore. This type of nonsense was sapping her strength. She had never wanted to be in this lousy business to begin with, but she had been Stu's partner for 40 years. She had balanced the books, signed the checks, dealt with the irate wrestlers, social misfits. So many crazies, she charmed them all, too. She could charm anybody, but lately she was just tired. Every day she begged Stu to get out of the business. That certainly seemed like the best idea, despite the kinks behind the scenes. Stampede Wrestling remained a quality product, and with the success of its graduates on the world stage, it was more renowned now than ever. Raw and rough, it was a treat for the pro wrestling lover, and yet... It was, a losing, it was losing its battle with the glamorous and glitz of the WWF. Every time Stampede developed a big name, that son of a bitch McMahon snatched him for his own increasingly bloated show. The Bulldogs, Bad News Allen, what a dude, Honky Tonk Man, even Stu's own sons, Brett and Owen, all of them had done stints in the WWF. Man, he made WWF, that a slave. I'm sorry. but I, that? 
before you get too far beyond, he made that damn woman a slave. She didn't even want to be involved in this. And he insisted and insisted, you're going to do this and this. And that's exactly what she did. She was a slave. I'm sorry. Yeah. And guess what? She was a socialite in New York. Now she's living on the prairies in, in, in Canada. Yeah. I mean, what a freaking culture shock. And then to be treated like that, like. Uh, yeah. All these stinky wrestlers in your house, you know. Right, right. Terrible. You got to cook for a bunch of people. They said that Stu would cook, right? And, like, he would go to flip the sausages. There would be cat and, shit all over the place. Yeah, yeah. One would land on the floor, and he'd scoop up a cat turd, too, and throw it in there. Just throw it well, in a man. And then you fast forward to the, what, mid-90s when it was Hart versus uh, Brett versus Lawler and that little feud, and Stu and Helen were basically cannon fodder for the commentary. Oh, yeah. And it, Stu, it, by that time, was like this. Yeah, he was sitting at 80-something years old, just stone-faced the whole time. Couldn't move. He, he's like a puppet at that point. Yeah. Like, that's, that's a shame. It's really a shame. A shame All for right. Sorry. This it's is what people to... find. Yeah, it's, 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 it's just insane. No, hey, listen. You, 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 know, you have a right to feel that way because I'll be honest with you. I never really gave it a lot of thought, but I do remember saying, geez, that's like what my grandfather did. To my grandmother, he moved her out of you know an area where we all lived up to the country, so he could hunt, and she yeah, was stuck like in that house captive for Christ's sake. Yeah, doing something that you specifically say you don't want to do, and you're being forced to. She yeah. was a captive slave, that poor woman. Yeah. And my grandmother didn't drive, so she was stuck in a house. Yeah, that's that's how most women of the time were. Yeah, um, the WWF. Wasn't the paradise it was made out to be as far as Stu was concerned. It didn't necessarily make one's career. Owen, his youngest son, was already planning to leave McMahon. That kid could fly like dynamite, and he could wrestle a good meat, good meat and potatoes technical match down on the mat with the best of them. And he had lots of charisma. In many ways, he was the best wrestler of all the hard sons. He was an instant sensation in stampede wrestling, but he was young competing with the world's biggest talents in the WWF, and McMahon wasn't about to push him as a main event star until he proved himself at the bottom of the card. Fair enough. Owen would have to work his way to the top like everybody else, which is complete bullshit. You know what? Let, let, let me just say one thing. And and Steve, I, I'd love you to... He was to 10 times the worker any of those guys were. All right. Okay, Steve, do you think that Owen Hart was the best Hart brother? I believe Owen was put in a position to stay where he was. Yes. I, I, be, I believe Vince never saw Owen as a world title, even contender, uh, which is why he always got stuck having to work, you know, the Slammy Award winner, the Intercontinental belt. The, the only time they ever really gave him the spotlight was when he won the tags, be it with Bulldog, Brett, Pillman, or Yoko. And he had no fire. So the you know, answer is no. I think he could. I think he could have been had they gotten him away from the family and let him do something different. I think the highlight for Owen was when he finally got away from Brad and started doing the Blue Blazer thing. Okay. Yeah, Everybody but- knew it was Owen under the hood. They right. made no bones about it. But I think it at least gave Owen a chance to be more. Because anybody who knew Owen knew that he loved a good time as much as the next guy. But, but you know I, what? They, 
writer writing this it yeah, is not all an opinion because to say that Owen Hart is the best heart, like it, yeah. you, that this guy is really biased towards uh, his, his certain favorites. Well, a, a book a book about Stampede is going to be heart heavy anyway. Yeah, yeah. of course. But, like, like anything, they're only telling you what they want you to know. Like any shoot interview you've ever watched or been a part of, you're, you're only knowing what the person editing wants you to know. Great, but you know what? I know the difference between Owen Hart and Bret Hart, and I know that Bret Hart's a better wrestler, and I'll say it. I'll say it. Yeah, okay. I, I believe that. And, you know, uh, I, I don't know. What I don't get is those, those 90% of the roster in the WWF at that time would get their clocks cleaned and would get blown up if they had to work the style that they were working in Calgary. Mm-hmm. These guys were insane. You had, and you had tons of them. You had Ben Basrav. You had Beef Wellington. You had the guy Johnny Smith. He was supposed to be one of the, the Smiths. He wasn't, but he, you know, stocky guy. Um, you know, they had guys that were run circles around the WWF guys at the time. And do you know why? Because these are the guys who – they were not, not only trained and then oh, they went home to their families or whatever. They actually lived the life. They traveled constantly and they were mm-hmm. constantly just around each other in their little circle. And they yeah. lived, they slept, they ate, they breathed wrestling. Whereas, you know, a, a lot of uh, a lot of people don't do as much. But Stu being the, you know, the leader and, and having all the hearts, the way he raised them to be uh, was the way he pretty much raised all the people around him and all of his yeah. to be. And, and that's what gave him, gave all of them such a strong work ethic. And that's why some of the best wrestlers came from that camp there in Calgary. Yeah. Well, now, grow up. Back to, uh, what was that documentary from back in the day beyond the mat? What uh, he had, how many kids and all the boys became wrestlers and all the girls married wrestlers. Married wrestlers. Yeah. Yes. But imagine then- that poor woman. Oh my God! Helen, Helen must have been going out of her damn mind. This is what I'm saying. This poor woman, she was enslaved to even be a breeder for her wrestlers, and it then just got worse and worse. The family then grew, and you have like generations after generations of hearts and night hearts and married and intertwined, like in laws and cousins, yeah. just all over the place, and still, you know, uh, doing doing their thing. But yeah. the family at the time, when everybody was with us, that family was who's who of the wrestling business. Absolutely. Look at Natty. I just was surprised. I saw her. I don't know what I was watching, but she came on, and I was like, wow, she looks fantastic. Incredible. The best I ever saw her. And the fact that she's not crippled, oh, God bless her, you know? Because if you're crippled, you can notice it. You can't hide it. Mm-hmm. And, she looks great. She must take fantastic care of herself, and, and it's good because someone, male or female, needs to carry on the name of, of, of the heart. And, and carry it on with dignity yes. and no shame and not getting caught up in crap, not hearing anything about her that's really outrageous and not disappointing her fans and letting these young kids down with yet another fallen you know, hero that got caught up in whatever crap. Yeah. So you got to give her credit. You can stay around the business that long. Hey, look, the best, the, the cleanest, the squeaky clean, Elizabeth couldn't escape the business. It, 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 it took her life in a, in a heartbeat over the course of a few years. She went from a girl that didn't know anything about anything to knowing it all and doing it all. And that's, 
That's powerful, man. Yes. So for Natty to still be in the business, it's and like, not have anything major, any issues, and still being healthy, and still be making money, and then maybe move into the behind the scenes and groom. It's great, you know. Sometimes people look at other people and they see that they're doing it all, and but sometimes doing it all is too much. You know? oh, even, even Elizabeth stuck around long after she had a long after she had no reason to be around anymore. Yeah, was, was that what was the real reason Miss Elizabeth became part of the NWI? Well, it was for for the same reason why she uh, entered uh, wrestling and became a part of wrestling. You know, and we I think yeah. we we know of the history of her and a lot of other ladies uh, started how they did, and that's why they're there and stayed that way. Uh, throughout the history of the business, they were just respected a little bit more because they were working and just doing the same thing they did before. Um, we know what we're saying, yeah. but um, you know, uh, I'm, it, I'm quite sure if you were respect for Miss Elizabeth and Nancy Benoit and all those ladies, but we we all know what positions everyone held. Yeah, before, but their time. It's no sad, way. you know. Well, we can't dwell on it. We're still here by the grace of God. So we got to make the best of it. Chew you up and vomit you out. But yeah. back, back to our book here because okay. interesting So, uh, you know, the whole deal went down. Uh, you know, we talked about it last night. Vince McMahon reneged on his deal. He stopped promoting. Uh, Stu took, went back to running, uh, you know, his pr- promotion, which eventually just, you know, dissipated. Nobody could handle uh, running it properly. And it just, at that point, you know, everybody was gone that could have helped them. You know, they were all in the WWF. Um, it says, uh, Brett, who had been a tag team champion with that wild son-in-law, Jim Neidhart, wrestling as the Hart Foundation, was getting a huge push in the WWF as a single star. Owen, he had a bright future ahead of him, too, whether he wanted to wrestle or not. His wedding was only days away. To headstrong Martha Patterson, who he had been dating since high school. But the fiasco in the Northwest Territories had managed to poison even that. Dynamite Kid, considered one of the family, had been invited to Owen's wedding. Until his attack on Bruce Hart, who was to be Owen's best man, said he wouldn't appear at the wedding if Dynamite attended. How do you break such news to a time bomb like Dynamite Kid? especially when you need him to work the next series of matches. Yet another wrestling-related headache. But there would be no more. Stu Hart started making plans to pull the plug on Stampede Wrestling, and this time he damn well would. So hopefully, I don't know how much longer they lived after that. Not too long. Um, But now this is where it really gets serious. Okay, here's a guy who probably didn't have enough food to even – Keep him alive, and look at him. You know, there was no steroids back then. Drank milk, ate eggs, ate beef. He looks you know. about 150 pounds. Yeah, I would say so. So uh, this chapter two is called Superman of the Prairies. So it gave you up to that point, and now you're skipping back to when Stu started out. The Stampede Wrestling story begins. And many believe it should end with Stuart Edwin Hart. Stu, his story is a stuff of legends. Cut from the rugged red-blooded mythology of the Wild West. Define what it means to be tough in the two-fisted traditions 
of John Wayne or a 1940s comic book hero. And in Stu Hart, you have the realization of that all but extinct ideal. A rock hard, square jawed man up to any physical challenge, a tireless worker, a pillar of strict moral fiber, even though he made his name in a normally ambiguous world, a virile stud bull who fathered 12 children, many of them chiseled physical specimens in their own right, a man who has never seen, was never seen to shed a tear, no matter the crushing crisis, because men don't cry. Stu Hart was forged in steel, a superman of the prairies, but he was an antiquated macho brute. Here, too, was a man who cooked for his children, mended their clothes, cared for them when they were ill, and got them off to school and every day, every day. Stu Hart was a gentleman who unashamedly fostered his maternal instincts in while his wife handled the business end of the family business, taking care of the finances, the advertising, and the bookkeeping. Not so strange now, perhaps, but very much so in those days. So, wait, well, hold up. So, so she took care of all the business end while he took all the children that she bred for him and turned them all into wrestlers. Like, she, he literally took on the role of nurturing like he was the mother. Thanks for the roster. Here's the checkbook. Yeah, feeding them and training them and, and, and just making sure that all of the, what, 12 children were taken care of like he was the mother and she went ahead and took care of all of the business and ran it quite successfully, even though as a slave, she did not want to. Yeah. And like, again, not only that, she had to do the work too. So, uh, you try to push 12 kids out and then run a wrestling promotion. Oh, I don't want to push any kids out and run shit. (laughs) Yeah. Now, Check it out. He was doing double duty. Why was he available during the day? Because he worked nights. You work nights when you're in the wrestling business. Yeah, uh, unbelievable uh, active guy in, yeah. in every community. But uh, I, I think we got some fun stories out of this one so far, Tommy. And, yeah. Uh, it, I think we could pick up where we left off some other time in, yep. in continuing with pain and pleasure. Is it called? It's Pain and Passion. Pain and the History of Stampede Wrestling. Pain this is the revised and expanded edition. I waited, I waited for two years to get this. Yes, so we have to uh, pick up where we left off and get to grab some more interesting stories about the Hart family and Calgary, Stampede, all that fun stuff. Uh, and you know what? You want to see how talented... And the style these guys were working, a style of their own hybrid from people uh, having influence on the promotion from coming all over the, the world, um, including Dynamite Kid. And, you know, if you just uh, Google on, uh, I mean, go on uh, YouTube and type in Calgary Stampede Wrestling, unless some more recent stuff comes up, it should go right back to the original promotion. And watch a card or two. It's amazing. It's amazing. So style. Steve. Incredible. Do you like being brought back like this in time? I love it. I, I'm happy to be called in for anything. I'm, I'm sitting here folding laundry, so this gave me a nice little break from that. 
You know, I told my wife. You're entertained. I just got I back my from the with the midgets, so good luck topping that, though. Yeah. Transvestites. Um, <laughs> yeah. My wife and I were talking last night, and um, she said, you seem really excited. I said, you know what? I It's like living the, more wrestling because we're already uh, on that wavelength. So when you're reading something, it's a lot different than, you know, somebody wasn't in a business because you're, 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 you're in the car. You're riding right along. Is this before? And, and yeah. you feel it because it's so relevant to, to what all of us go through, I think. All the answers to, to I, today are in the, in the past. I, I know Tommy hates this, but you mentioned WCCW earlier and reading the heart, heart book. If it were legit... Is what? If it were legit, yeah. 100% shoot, Fritz Von Erich versus Stu Hart. Oh, Stu Hart. In, in, in seconds. Yeah. In seconds. It would crush him. Uh, you know, as Stu Hart respect the Von Erich family, he's taken that L. No, that, that man is not was not human. He was no. not human. Didn't feel pain. Didn't uh, register it if he did feel it. Um, never cried. He could grab your wrist and probably crush your freaking bones. Yeah, probably. No, you know? no emotion. You would think uh, he was some kind of psychotic narcissist, uh, but the, you hear the way he took care of his children, then you start to think, like, if that were his personality, he wouldn't behave like that. Okay. With it. But he was raising an army. So and you guess what? That way. Uh, they were all there. Right. They're all there around the table. There must be a reason why they're all there. Something's got to be working. I think you know? we all love to have our own little army, especially if they're our own blood. And yeah. That could run a wrestling promotion and really excel and make you know make the family name proud. And we would yeah. all want that to happen when we're running a wrestling promotion, especially when we're going out of our way to enslave our wife and make <sighs> Pushed the twelve babies out to make the promotion and run things. And twelve babies? What? What? You got to be pregnant every other freaking. Right, right. Like, where wow. do you find time to book during that? That just seems like a lot. Twelve. That's that's more work than it's worth on all ends. Uh, listen, that's that's a woman with, with that's a strong uterus right there. I'll tell she you. She was little, little yeah. skinny girl. Hey, you know she she. She popped them out though, right? <laughs> she popped out oh. winners. Doesn't matter how small she was. So uh, thank you so much for joining this yes. episode of Wrestling Rewind's book reading of pa uh, Pain and Passion, the Stampede Calgary story all about the hearts and and all that. And I'm a little tired from that trip. Uh, yeah, it was it was quite the trip back in time. And we thank our co-co-host. Steve Savage for joining us uh, for this book reading. I, I I think you probably learned uh, a few things and enjoyed it as well. I, I always find the the book reads interesting, regardless of who's actually reading them, because it's the content that. Yeah. <laughs> you read some of these guys' books. I, I'm not going to say a whole litany of names. Everybody knows who's written books and who hasn't. Some guys you can tell when they write are just out for themselves. Some guys believe in themselves a little bit too much. 
the books, I think, are the one place that still make you question what's real and what isn't. Well, because of the characters, with legalities, uh, you know, books usually uh, have fact checkers, so you could believe them a little bit more than uh, just some people's word of mouth. So books yeah. are always good. Well, for the you. wrestling business and wrestlers is the most fascinating thing that exists. They're the most colorful, fascinating, unbelievable specimens that could do everything wrong and still be successful. Uh, it's amazing. They're inhuman. We're all Larry, inhuman. There's not one of us who spent more than a little time in the business that is not exceptional in more than one way. Uh, and, and most of us wind up learning how to do it right by consistently doing it wrong or going against the grain. And I look at it like this. Even a broken clock is right twice a day. I don't change with the wind. I stick with my convictions. And sooner or later, I'm back in style. And when I'm not, I don't care, <laughs> you know. So yeah, we are, anyway. We're yeah. a rare breed. Very much so. And that's why we're all here. You know, we all have a, a common love. So, and, and, and this is why people tune in because they all have that common love with us. So join us every week here on Wrestling Rewind at 7 p.m. on Sundays uh, through hosted by Monty and the Pharaoh on YouTube. And uh, for my co-co-host and my co-host, the Iron Man Tommy Caro and Steve yes. Savage, uh, Angel Amoroso is saying... Have a nice night and a nice life. Good night. See you.